0: Section 27 of Matthew Henry's Commentary on the Whole Bible Unabridged, Volume 6, Acts of the Apostles, by Matthew Henry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 8. In this chapter, we have an account of the persecutions of the Christians and the propagating of Christianity thereby. It was strange but very true that the disciples of Christ, the more they were afflicted, the more they multiplied. 1. Here is the church suffering. Upon the occasion of putting Stephen to death, a very sharp storm arose, which forced many from Jerusalem. Verses 1 through 3. 2. Here is the church spreading by the ministry of Philip and others that were dispersed upon that occasion. We have here, one, the gospel brought to Samaria, preached there, verses 4 and 5, embraced there, verses 6 through 8, even by Simon Magus, verses 9 through 13. The gift of the Holy Ghost conferred upon some of the believing Samaritans by the imposition of the hands of Peter and John, verses 14 through 17. And the severe rebuke given by Peter to Simon Magus for offering money for a power to bestow that gift, verses 18 through 25. Two, the gospel sent to Ethiopia by the eunuch, a person of quality of that country. He is returning home in his chariot from Jerusalem, verses 26 through 28. Philip is sent to him and in his chariot, preaches Christ to him, verses 29 through 35, baptizes him upon his profession of the Christian faith, verses 36 through 38, and then leaves him, verses 39 and 40. Thus, in different ways and methods, the gospel was dispersed among the nations, and, one way or other, have they not all heard. Persecution of the Church verses 1 through 3. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and, hailing men and women, committed them to prison. In these verses we have one, something more concerning Stephen and his death, how people stood affected to it, variously, as generally in such cases, according to men's different sentiments of things. Christ had said to his disciples when he was parting with them, John chapter 26, verse 20, You shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. Accordingly, here is one Stephen's death rejoiced in by one, by many no doubt, but by one in particular, and that was Saul, who was afterwards called Paul. He was consenting to his death, Synodukon, he consented to it with delight, so the word signifies. He was pleased with it. He fed his eyes with this bloody spectacle in hopes it would put a stop to the growth of Christianity. We have reason to think that Paul ordered Luke to insert this for shame to himself and glory to free grace. Thus he owns himself guilty of the blood of Stephen and aggravates it with this that he did not do it with regret and reluctancy, but with delight and a full satisfaction, like those who not only do such things, but have pleasure in those that do them. 2. Stephen's death bewailed by others, verse 2, devout men which some understand of those that were properly so-called proselytes, one of whom Stephen himself probably was or it may be taken more largely, some of the church that were more devout and zealous than the rest, went and gathered up the poor, crushed, and broken remains, to which they gave a decent interment, probably in the field of blood which was bought some time ago to bury strangers in. They buried him solemnly, and made great lamentation over him though his death was of great advantage to himself and great service to the church, yet they bewailed it as a general loss, so well qualified was he for the service, and so likely to be useful, both as a deacon and as a disputant. It is a bad symptom if, when such men are taken away, it is not laid to heart. Those devout men paid these their last respects to Stephen, one to show that they were not ashamed of the cause for which he suffered nor afraid of the wrath of those that were enemies to it for though they now triumph the cause is a righteous cause and will be at last a victorious one two to show the great value and esteem they had for this faithful servant of jesus christ this first martyr for the gospel whose memory shall always be precious to them, notwithstanding the ignominy of his death. They study to do honor to him upon whom God put honor. 3. To testify their belief and hope of the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. 2. An account of this persecution of the church, which begins upon the martyrdom of Stephen. When the fury of the Jews ran with such violence and to such a height against Stephen, it could not quickly either stop itself or spend itself. The bloody are often in Scripture called bloodthirsty, for when they have tasted blood they thirst for more. One would have thought Stephen's dying prayers and dying comforts should have overcome them, and melted them into a better opinion of Christians and Christianity. But it seems they did not. The persecution goes on, for they were more exasperated when they saw they could prevail nothing, and, as if they hoped to be too hard for God himself, they resolved to follow their blow. And perhaps, because they were none of them struck dead upon the place for stoning Stephen, their hearts were the more fully set in them to do evil. Perhaps the disciples were also the more emboldened to dispute against them as Stephen did, seeing how triumphantly he finished his course, which would provoke them so much the more. Observe one against whom this persecution was raised. It was against the church in Jerusalem, which is no sooner planted then it is persecuted, as Christ often intimated that tribulation and persecution would arise because of the word. And Christ had particularly foretold that Jerusalem would soon be made too hot for his followers, for that city had been famous for killing the prophets and stoning those that were sent to it. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. It should seem that in this persecution, many were put to death. For Paul owns that at this time, he persecuted this way unto the death, chapter 21, verse 4, and chapter 26, verse 10, that when they were put to death, he gave his voice against them. 2. Who was an active man in it? none so zealous, so busy as Saul, a young Pharisee, verse 3. As for Saul, who had been twice mentioned before and now again for a notorious persecutor, he made havoc of the church. He did all he could to lay it waste and ruin it. He cared not what mischief he did to the disciples of Christ, nor knew when to stop. He aimed at no less than the cutting off of the gospel of Israel, that the name of it should be no more in remembrance, Psalm 83, verse 4. He was the fittest tool the chief priests could find out to serve their purposes. He was informer general against the disciples, a messenger of the great council to be employed in searching for meetings and seizing all that were suspected to favor that way. Saul was bred a scholar, a gentleman, and yet did not think it below him to be employed in the vilest work of that kind. One, he entered into every house, making no difficulty of breaking open doors night or day, and having a force attending him for that purpose, he entered into every house where they used to hold their meetings, or every house that had any Christians in it, or was thought to have. No man could be secure in his own house, though it was his castle. Two, he hailed with the utmost contempt and cruelty both men and women, dragged them along the streets without any regard to the tenderness of the weaker sex. He stooped so low as to take cognizance of the meanest that were leavened with the gospel, so extremely bigoted was he. Three, he committed them to prison in order to their being tried and put to death unless they would renounce Christ. And some, we find, were compelled by him to blaspheme. Chapter 26, verse 11. Three, what was the effect of this persecution? They were all scattered abroad, verse 1. Not all the believers, but all the preachers, who were principally struck at and against whom warrants were issued out to take them up. They, remembering our Master's rule, when they persecute you in one city, flee to another. Dispersed themselves by agreement throughout the regions of Judea and of Samaria, not so much for fear of sufferings, for Judea and Samaria were not so far off from Jerusalem, but that, if they made a public appearance there, as they determined to do, their persecutors' power would soon reach them there, but because they looked upon this as an intimation of providence to them to scatter. Their work was pretty well done in Jerusalem, and now it was time to think of the necessities of other places, for their master had told them that they must be his witnesses in Jerusalem first, and then in all Judea and in Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the earth. Chapter 1, verse 8. And this method they observe, Though persecution may not drive us off from our work, yet it may send us, as a hint of providence, to work elsewhere. The preachers were all scattered except the apostles, who, probably, were directed by the Spirit to continue at Jerusalem yet for some time, they being, by the special providence of God, screened from the storm, and, by the special grace of God, enabled to face the storm. They tarried at Jerusalem, that they might be ready to go where their assistance was most needed by the other preachers that were sent to break the ice, as Christ ordered his disciples to go to those places where he himself designed to go. Luke chapter 10 verse 1. The apostles continued longer together at Jerusalem than one would have thought considering the command and commission given them to go into all the world and to disciple all nations. See chapter 15 verse 6, Galatians chapter 1 verse 17. But what was done by the evangelists whom they sent forth was reckoned as done by them. End of section 27.